Let's turn in our Bibles together this morning, book of Hebrews once again, chapter 7. Please follow along as I begin to read in verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath. By him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become surety of a better covenant. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Would you bow and pray with me this morning? Lord God, as we study Christ, our great high priest, we pray, Lord, to see all the many facets of his ministry to us and unto you. Lord, may we become people of faith in Jesus, our high priest, for all that he is and all that he is doing, and have confidence in his work, Lord, and no confidence in ourselves. Let us trust in thee, and thee alone we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Why baby Jesus at Christmas? What is that all about, anyway? There he is, figuratively in the nativity scenes all across the nation, the world, the little baby, the holy family, as they are called, Mary and Joseph, Camels, donkeys, the manger, and there's Christmas. Is it any wonder that the world can't figure out what Christmas is about? If that's the message of Christmas? If just the symbology is there of a little baby and two parents and lights shining and shepherds coming and wise men, etc. What's it all about? I mean, why come as a baby anyway? What then this virgin birth? What does that matter? What? Why? Tell me, please, the world says. Do we know? Do we say? What is the purpose of Jesus the Christ coming at Christmas? I think it is both simple and profound. Jesus said, I came. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Seek 
Who? Save whom? What was lost? To whom was it lost? Who's lost? What's lost? And who thinks it's lost? There's some questions. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, what was lost? It was all of mankind. Through sin. Separation from the Garden of Eden through our own sin. Inabilities. Rampant death. Destruction, wars, infighting, petty fights, disputes. We sang that bells of Christmas day and oh how that echoes in our hearts, doesn't it? If he was supposed to come and bring peace on earth to man, where is it? We don't have it. It's obvious. So what is Christmas then? What are we celebrating if there isn't peace on earth? Well, what was lost was peace between man and God. Peace between man and God was lost through sin and the enmity between man and God grew out of it immediately as a result. Christmas is celebrated by many through this character, Santa Claus. And the story goes that he comes to bring gifts to good little boys and little girls. Did I get that right? That's the parallel theme of Christmas. Good little boys who do good during the year get gifts from Santa Claus. Jesus, on the other hand, is the direct opposite. He came to bad little boys and girls, to wretched little boys and girls, to sinning little boys and girls and men and women alike to seek and to save them from their sin and bring them peace with God. So the separation of the Garden of Eden can be undone through the Christ of Christmas and Santa Claus has nothing to do with it. And as a matter of fact, it is a false narrative with a false goal and false gifts that replace the real gift. The gift of a great high priest who came to seek and to save. Priests bring people to God because the people are unable to bring themselves to God. They are helpless. They are the people who sat in darkness. They've seen a great light. In the text that we're studying, and we'll continue to study both this 
Sunday before Christmas and on Christmas because it is Christmas. Has given us four outcomes of the oath of God. Why did Jesus come? Because God said go. And Christ wanted to come. We've seen four outcomes, or we will see four outcomes of God's oath, the two which are creative, and two appointments from the oath of God. The first we looked at last week, the first creative outcome. The first outcome of God's oath was that he creates surety in a better covenant, a confidence through the guarantee of the one who administers the better covenant, the new covenant of God. God has sworn, you are a priest. And that's that. He is the forever priest. This morning I want to look in our new study at the second creative outcome of God's oath. God has sworn and will not relent. And by this swearing, God creates and created an unchangeable priesthood. Let me say that again. His oath created an unchangeable priesthood. Look at our text. Verse 23. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come as a man? So that he could be a priest to men. An unchangeable sort of priest. An immutable priest that is incapable of change. Whatever happens around and about and through the world, he is unchanged by it. He is a fixed position, a north star of both theology and action. He is unalterable. He is unchangeable in his priestly ministry. It will be in this very book that we will study in a number of chapters, this Jesus, wherein he is proclaimed in the book of Hebrews as the same. Yesterday, today, and for how long? Forever. An immutable high priest. And it is through this unchangeable, everlasting priesthood that he is able to save to the uttermost, letter A in your notes. This oath of God gave him an unchangeable priesthood and through which he is able to save to the uttermost. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what Christmas is about. Through his unchangeable priesthood, he is able to save to the uttermost. To the uttermost. A word we'll get to in just a moment, but first, he's able to save to the uttermost because, number one, he has an unchangeably, he is continuing forever without prevention. 
His ministry, his priesthood continues forever without any prevention thereof. Look at verse 23 again. They also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. He's being compared again and again, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the great high priest, to the Levitical priests, the priests and high priests of the line of Aaron. And they were prevented in their ministries by their physical, finite human lives. They all eventually died. The death of a priest brought about a reality. The reality of that death is that any permanent appointment to the priesthood and its continuance was now impossible. It was prevented by death from continuing on and on and on. It was limited by human normal limitations. When life stopped for the high priest, so did any possibility of further ministry on behalf of the people. It is interesting, though, that in the symbology of the Old Testament law, the death of the high priest released all the captives and returned all them to their former lands, even if they had been a manslaughterer looking forward to one who would release through his death, but more so, one who would live. When we talk about hindrance to what you want to do and what your plans are to accomplish, it must be said that death stops all of it. Am I right? It's not going to happen anymore. All the projects that you had planned, all the things that you thought you were going to do, and all the things you could accomplish are now at an end. Even pastoral ministry is finite, comes to an end. One of my great mentors, Pastor David Peterson, Billings, Montana, and the Westside Baptist Church, he'd had three bypass surgeries, and it was on him that his days were short. I think he was right. And there was an urgency to his life. There was a zeal to accomplish. And I remember he went about, he had always done a, re a weekly radio show on Curl Radio there in Billings. And you could hear it on Sunday mornings. And he wanted to turn his attention to making cassette tapes in a series for anybody who was left behind after the rapture. And he diligently and, and, and with great eloquence and scriptural knowledge laid his voice down on cassette tapes. And at the time, I thought, what a great idea. His ministry can go on through cassette tapes. And now I realize the futility of even pastoral ministry that is limited by death. 
I mean, who even has a cassette player? I mean, it is possible somewhere in the Great Tribulation, someone may pick up that cassette and find a cassette player and play it. And, and I know that the words will be a blessing and it will do good. But guess what? His ministry is over. For as much as I would like to sit in the pew myself again and be the student and to hear him preach, for that was one of my favorite things in the world, hear the words flow and the Bible be exposed and the zeal of this man would lift you up to the heavens. And it's gone. And every earthly priest went the same way. There's a genealogy in First Chronicles. And sometimes we wonder, why does God give these genealogies, these lists of father and son and father and son? Well, there's a number of reasons, but this morning I want to point out this one to you. I want to give you a record of the high priestly line, the line of Aaron, of the family of Moses. First Chronicles 6, we begin to read in verse 3. The children of Amram were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. So they're all of the Levites, they're all of this family, Amram, begot Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, their sister. And notice, and the sons of Aaron were Nadab and Abihu, by the way, who were killed early for offering strange fire to God. You will not find their genealogy. It ended there. His third son, Eliezer, and Ithamar, his fourth son, Verse 4, Eliezer begot Phinehas, and Phinehas begot Abishua, Abishua begot Buki, Buki begot Uzi, Uzi begot Zechariah, and Zechariah begot Mariath, Mariath begot Amariah, Amariah begot Atub, Atub begot Zadok, Zadok begot Ahimaz, Ahimaz begot Azariah, Azariah begot Johanan, Johanan begot Azariah. It was he who ministered as priest in the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Azariah begot Amariah, Amariah begot Atub, Atub begot Zadok, Zadok begot Shalom, Shalom begot Hilkiah, Hilkiah begot Azariah, Azariah begot Sheraiah, Sheraiah begot Jehozadak. Jehozadak went into captivity when the Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem into captivity by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, period. This is a genealogy of dead people. Dead priests. It is a record of priests who died and a ministry that ended in failure. A ministry of leading people, God's own people, of the 12 tribes of Israel to the Lord to minister on their behalf before the Lord went into captivity for failure to draw near unto the Lord. Their ministries failed. They were prevented from completing this ministry of leading the Jews, leading the Hebrews to God, first by death and also by the rebellion and death of the people. They were prevented. They were limited. They were incomplete. 
They pointed to the priest to come, but they were not that priest. If we were going to put it in American terms, they just didn't get it done. But the high priestly ministry of this Jesus is unprevented. Is unprevented. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But this high priest, by way of comparison, is unprevented. He died and rose again and lives. In Hebrews 7, we've already read in verse 8, notice again, here mortal men receive tithes. Here the priests who are mortal and will die receive tithes, but there where Jesus is in the heavenly realm ministering, he receives them of whom it is witness, notice, that he lives. The death that stopped every other high priest has now been defeated by Jesus. He has an unstoppable priesthood, and it's unstoppable by death. In Hebrews 5, as we go back just a little bit, in verse 6, we read, and he, God says to Jesus in another place, you are a priest, key word here, forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He has an unchangeable priesthood. It's unchangeable, unstoppable by death, unchangeable by time. Time is the enemy of man. We're all running out of it. From the day we're born, we're running out of time. But Christ is no longer running out of time. He has a forever ministry. That's why a surety of a better covenant. It goes on forever. Hebrews 6, now verse 20, we remind ourselves there as well, where the forerunner, Jesus, has entered for whom? For us, even Jesus having become, listen, high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He is unprevented by death. He's unchangeable by time. He's unprevented by the location of an earthly ministry for he entered that heavenly temple for us behind the veil and nothing can change his priestly ministry. It's unchangeable. And because he has an unchangeable ministry, he also can bring through that, some abilities. He is unchangeable, number two in your notes, and therefore he is able. It is interesting that unchangeable has able at the end of it, and therefore he is able. When you're unchangeable, you're able to do many things, and when you live on forever, you can do them all. As our text tells us, but he because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus has an unchangeable priesthood. What was the purpose? Why Christmas? Why did he come? He came to seek, to go and get those who were lost. To go and get fallen man and to save them. To bring them to God. To bring them to God for salvation. He is able to save. This morning Dan read, and I will read again, the prophecy of the coming Messiah. The anointed one, also translated deliverer 
or Savior. And Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before his coming, and looked to by every generation in Israel, they read these words, For unto us a child is born. Why a baby in a manger? Because a child had to come as a man. Jesus must serve as a man to men for his ministry to be a high priestly ministry. To be the sacrifice he had to come as a man because a man can die and God cannot. Christ's humanity was put to death. For unto us a child is born, but more than that unto us a son, capital S, the Son of God, is given. The extent of his ministry is multiple, and we're concentrating on his high priestly ministry, but let us note even his political as well as his religious high priestly ministry, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Those who sat in darkness, those who were at enmity with God, those who were lost, peace. We think of peace on earth and we think, why is it that we just can't get along? If we just, you know, try a little harder. We just reach out across. Hey, well, what's, the, what's the term that we use these days that, that kind of has the idea that if we all just did this, that everybody would do it and we'd have peace on earth? Well, what is it called? Pay it forward. So someone does something nice to you, you pay it forward unto somebody else. And somebody's saying, well, Pastor, don't you want us to do nice things to people? Yes, but guess what? That doesn't fix anything. It is a wonderful thing to do. And by the way, I think they're stealing from God a little bit. He says, do unto others as you'd have them what? Do unto you. So say it like God said it and leave theirs alone. But why do we do that? Are we going to bring peace on earth through that? No. Not unless you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then you can love your neighbor as yourself, because then you've been saved from your horrible, terrible anger and superiority over your fellow man. Is that how I am? I'm not like that, Pastor. Well, if you're saved, you were. And if you're saved and still are, you might not be saved. And if you're unsaved, you still are. You think yourself better than everyone else, including God, for you do not need him. He who came to seek and to save that which is lost, it's fine if he stays in the cradle. Stay in your manger, oh little baby. Santa Claus is coming to town. I'm fine with that. But he is the prince of peace, and he brings peace first between God and men. That's what's happening in this age of the church. And as Jesus is leading men to God for peace with him, those who were once at enmity in their heart and enemies of God, he has brought to reconciliation through his high priestly ministry, peace with God. And thereby in the kingdom, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, says Isaiah. 
for the throne of David and over upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever a forever ministry because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it the Lord has sworn and will not relent and what he says will go will go. He is able to save because he is unchangeable. Romans 6, Paul says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. He dies no more. Death no longer has, listen to this, dominion over him. Death has dominion over the world of men, but it has no dominion over Jesus the Christ. For the death that he died, he died to sin. What? We've been telling people he died for you. And there's some truth in that. But he died to sin. The wages of sin is death. And he who pays the price for all the sin just paid the price of death. So there is no more price. Jesus paid it all. Once for all. It says that. He died to sin once for how? All. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. He died to sin once. He is unchangeable. He's able to say because he ever lives. He lives a life to God. I'm not trusting in your life. I'm not trusting in my life. We're as good as dead. I'm trusting in his life who defeated death that sin brought into the world. He's unchangeable, and therefore he is able. He's able to save, but he's able to save to a particular extent. What is the extent of the salvation of Jesus the Christ? He's able to save, look at your text, to the uttermost. To the uttermost. Fully, entirely, completely. He is a complete high priest whose ministry never ends and it is always the same and he is able to then save you to the most complete extent of being saved. It is the error of the world, it is the error of Satan that there's something more yet to be done to save you. Something you need to add. Something that you need to bring along. Something a little bit better in the attitude. No. Santa Claus came for those people. Some of you are living a Santa Claus salvation. If I'm just a good enough boy or girl, Santa Claus won't give me coal in my stocking. He's going to give me good stuff. Are you here? Somebody say amen. You've been there. You better say amen. Some of you. Or are you on Jesus who came to seek and to save that which is lost? And what he came to seek were the lost sinners in their decadence. 
He saved a wretch like me. So says amazing grace. If he didn't save a wretch, then you aren't saved. That's the only way it works. He is able to save completely to the uttermost. Even in Ephesians, we read from the Apostle Paul in this prayer, in the conclusion to this great prayer in Ephesians 3, I read now beginning in verse 20. Now to him, listen, who is able. Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. I wonder how much that might be. I can think of a lot. I can ask for a lot. You can't outthink. You can't outask. And sometimes you ask because you don't even know what to ask for because the biggest thing is Jesus. As your great high priest, as your Savior. He's able to do more above, more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Listen, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. How? By Christ Jesus to all generations. How many generations? To all generations forever and ever. Is this true or not? Paul ends, Amen. Truly, this is truth. He's able to save to the uttermost. Philippians 3 verse 20. Paul again saying, For our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship? You mean like we can vote? No, like you don't need to vote anymore. Like you belong to this place called heaven. For our citizenship is in heaven from, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven. Where's our citizenship? It's in heaven. We wait eagerly for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will. No, who might? Well, there's a vague possibility. Well, maybe if you're good enough. Maybe if you've lived exactly as you should. Your citizenship is in heaven, he said. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Glory of a man who died on the cross, and his flesh died, and he was raised in glory. That glory. Conformed to his glorious body, according to the working which you do every single day, keeping your lists about how good you are. Was that not in your Bibles? It's because it's in the Bibles of the cults. That's what they teach. That's what false religion teaches. That if you do it right, you might get in. According in Philippians to Apostle Paul, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, which includes you. I love it that Finally, there is someone over me who can subdue me. Mom gave it a good go. Dad gave it a try, even with the belt, even grounding. 
My platoon sergeants and those in the army gave it a good try as well. They really put it on me. Boy, oh boy. And how did I come out? Better or worse? No, baby. I came out with esprit de corps and pride. We're better than all the rest of them. Guess that didn't work. You know what? He's able to subdue all things to himself, including you, so that you will be subdued, subordinate, and sublime in your relationship with him. I must move on. 2 Timothy 1, 12. For this reason, Paul says, I also suffer these things. Do you wonder why you should go through suffering well? Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is what? He's able. What is he able to do? Count up all the good stuff you've done? Make sure that your stocking is full of all the toys you so richly deserve so you can play with them throughout this life and the next? That Santa Claus. I'm talking about Jesus the Savior who comes for those who are lost, who are sinners, who are dead in trespasses and sins. This one it says, Paul says, I believe that I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. And what is it that we committed to him? Did we commit all these things? I gave you my list, Lord. Let me in. No, we commit to him our confession of faith. You are my Savior, and I need to be saved. You are my great high priest who leads me to Jesus, not by my virtues, but yours. You are the one I trust has saved me. How far? To the uttermost. I'm going to give you enough more verses until when I say that, you repeat it after me. Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, God, who was able to save him from death, but God didn't do it. God was able to save Jesus from death, but did not save him, for that was God's plan. That he would die so you, by believing in him, don't die eternally. He was heard because of his godly fear. How will you be heard? Because you believe. I fear God's wrath. It terrifies me. Because I read my Bible. How do I escape God's wrath that my sin so richly deserves? That I have failed and all those who are over me have failed and everyone around has failed to deal with. I trust Him. I hold on to the confession I have of Jesus Christ, my great high priest. I trust Him with my eternal life because it's not mine, it's His that he is sharing then with me. 
he is able to save to the uttermost. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That can't be true, can it? That's got to be a misprint. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you, listen to this, faultless. Wait a minute. We're good at keeping the list of how good we are so Santa Claus can come to town. But the longer list is the list of faults. Can I have an amen? That if we were honest, if we were true, if we even could, if God actually did count the sins, who would be able to stand, asked the psalmist? No man. Then how is it that he can possibly say, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, will present you where? He came to seek and to save that which was lost and present them to God. It says, before the presence of his glory. And if we stopped there, that'd be enough, wouldn't it? And, and, and to present them faultless before the presence of his glory. But he didn't stop there. He says it this way. Present them in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. <laughs> you know, because if you're a Santa Claus one, all you think about is coal. And wrath. Because if you're honest, you realize it's Christmas uh, tomorrow. And what should be under that Christmas tree if mom and dad only knew? And Santa's supposed to know. I'm cooked. There's going to be nothing there. It's going to be these things wrapped up. It'll be like you're grounded for life. Written on a card. Enjoy the rest of your life. Over to the stocking. There's a little nice things. Not even an orange. Just a coal. Burning hell on this coal. Ain't this great? Didn't you know that was what the coal's for? I just made that up. <laughs> but I mean, isn't that how we've gotten to think because of Santa Claus? Please let us this Sunday get over Santa Claus Christianity. I am looking to the one who is able to keep me from stumbling, to present me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, not the fear of wrath, not the fear of God, not the terror of the Lord, but the joy of the Lord who is my strength because the strength comes from the Lord in whom I have placed my faith and even the faith he had to give me. Purpose fulfilled. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he saves how far? To the uttermost. You're starting to get the theme. So when you're having trouble and you're starting to count again and it's going to happen to you, you say, he's able to save to the uttermost. What am I thinking? I'm thinking like Santa Claus over here. And when you say it that way, you're going you're gonna to say it like it is. That's 
well, let's say less than intelligent. It's underinformed, not theological. It's stupid. There, I said it. Unchangeable. Able to save. Able to save to the uttermost. And then able to save those who come to him. Those who come to him. That's how the verse ends. Wait a minute, I thought you said there's nothing we got to do. Oh, well, I wasn't done yet. And neither was this verse. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he, Jesus, continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost, notice, those who come to God through him. Those who come to God through him. He is able to save. You see, there is in man sin who does not desire to be saved. Jesus say, said, I did not come to save the righteous. But I thought you said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He did. But he said, I did not come to save the righteous. I came to save sinners. Now, in whose mind is this happening? He is saying, I did not come to save those who think they don't need to be saved. They think they are right and righteous and good enough. And they generally tend to be people who say, well, I am better than that guy. I am better than that girl. Well, I may do a few things, but I don't do that. That's the self-righteous. And by the way, we could go on with the descriptions. But the one who, like the tax collector in the temple, bows his head and beats his breast and says, have mercy on me, a sinner has just come to God, has just come to Jesus, the Savior. The people who say they were good enough, Jesus addressed in John chapter 5, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who thought they were good enough, the scribes who in their erudition and their Bible knowledge thought themselves so good that they had a free pass into God's kingdom, into heaven. And in John chapter 5, these are the words of loving Jesus, and it's loving for exposes their error. Jesus said, and the Father himself who sent me, Jesus came because he was sent, and he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the Father himself who sent me, he says in 37, has testified of me. He says to these Pharisees, you have neither heard his voice at any time. Can you imagine what a slap of the face this was? These are the guys that are reading the scriptures. But he says, you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Why? Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Whom God the Father sent, God the Son, in the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the book of John, where it says that in its beginning. 
you would not believe. He goes on by accusation. You searched the scriptures and so they did. For in them you think you have eternal life. They searched them finding out everything they should possibly do to earn their way into heaven. In this we think we will have eternal life. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, says Jesus. Now pay attention here. This is where it gets close to the fires of hell. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Because you think in keeping the scriptures, you already have it. That is one of the greatest errors of Satan and he tells it and our pride sucks it in like honeydew vine water and gets drunk on it. But you will die there. Child, young person, mother, father, grandma, grandpa, any age you are, you will die there. You are not able because you're not willing He's able to save those who come to him. He looked out over Jerusalem. Jesus did in his ministry and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. There needs to be a come to Jesus moment, and that means a moment where you believe you are a sinner in desperate desperate situation and the wrath of God is over you and on you and deserve to be given unto you and it will be for all eternity because you are a sinner and you need to listen to Jesus who says come unto me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest enter my rest I will lead you to God the Father I will be your high priest. I will shepherd you to the Father in heaven. And he said similarly those very things in John chapter 10. John 10, the contrast between the self-righteous and those who come to him is made. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. See, that's the key. He knows you before you know him. And I know them. And they follow me. See, there's no concept of a Christian who doesn't follow Jesus, the great shepherd. People who tell me, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I say, have you followed Jesus to his church? They say, no, I don't go to church. I'm not into that organized religion. Well, I say even if Jesus organized it and said in the book of Hebrews, do not neglect the meeting together of the saints as some are wont to do. That church? Do you think you can follow Jesus and go your own way? That you can not listen to his voice? You can call him Savior and Lord? As Jesus said, you call me Master, you call me Savior and Lord, and in that you do rightly. But when I command you, you do not do those things that I say. Why, if I am Savior and Lord, do you not do what I command, get to church? Which is absolutely the simplest thing we do. This isn't work time. This is learning time. You know where the work is done, right? 
If church is your Christian work, you ain't following. You've taken one right step, but this is how you learn to go out back in the world, back to your homes, back to with the same brothers and sisters, back to the same employees you work with, back with the same people you have to boss, back to all those people and do the work. Well, this was good, saved to the uttermost. We don't have to do anything but believe. It was so great till now. No, it's all great. Because my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. See, that's how you can do the work. If you don't get it, why don't I want to do what God wants me to do? Because when I'm trying hard to keep my list of all the things that God wants me to do so I can get into heaven, I keep failing and then I quit doing it because I stink at this job, right? You're doing that because you're a Santa Claus Christian. And you're not believing even this. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. When you understand that, then you can do what Jesus has commanded you to do, not out of obligation, not out of earning your way, but because you have the joy of following Jesus. Just tell me what to do, Jesus. Let's go. Woohoo! Well, I didn't get that done quite right, but okay, I'm still following Jesus. Let's get up and go again. That's what real Christianity is like. You're going to try, you're going to fail, you're going to try harder, and you're going to succeed, and you're going to do better, and you're going to start maturing, and you're going to start growing out of some of these things, and you're going to look back in your life and say, you know, all those besetting sins, I have much trouble for. It actually works to memorize the scripture and repeat it to myself. It actually works to try and depend on the Spirit. It actually, it actually is a real deal that I can live by the Spirit and see a track record of following after God. And are there failures along the way? Yeah, but I got eternal life, baby. I am saved to the what? Uttermost. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's Christmas. That's the present I want. That's the present I need. That is what I depend upon. That is what you depend on here today. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And you're not going to get in the middle of that one. And bust up his salvation. You're saved to the uttermost. If you come to him. So come today. Let's pray. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Praise be unto the Lord God Most High for giving us His Son and by virtue of His oath making Him High Priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek who leads us eternally and with surety to the throne of grace, the throne of God where every time we find mercy and we receive grace for help in time of need. That we confess this morning. I pray for some here they will confess that as true, that they believe it and be saved and come to Jesus and be led to God the Father in joy.
We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.